St. Warburg's Derby. Hello. Um, <laughs> this is new. It's nice to be here in the evening for a change. And I must say, I'm not feeling any pressure at all being the favourite Bond. So we'll see how this goes. I'd just like to start by uh, praying uh, for us all tonight. So, Father God, I just pray that you would come and be with us this evening. Lord, that you would take what I have to say and speak uh, through me. Holy Spirit, would you come and be among us tonight? Amen. So I would just love to have a read of um, some of the story of Mary, who's the mother of Jesus. And for many of us here, we will have heard this story a million times. Um, we will have either been in or will have watched a ton of nativity plays. And I had the joy of watching my little boy, who's three, in his first nativity play a couple of weeks ago. And he loves singing and dancing, and he did all the songs for me at home. And then we got to his play, and he gurned for the entire performance. <laughs> Um, so it wasn't quite what we were expecting, but it was still very entertaining. Um, I know that for some of us here, actually, this story, um, we might never have heard it before. It might be a brand new story. So let's try and have a look at this with fresh eyes. And so I'm going to read from Luke. It's chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 26. And if you have a Bible, you might want to join along, but um, it will be on the screens. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises in her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped the serv- his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, the thing that struck me most when reading this story is how the angel greeted Mary. Everyone else in the nativity story that we come across, the angel says, do not be afraid. But to Mary, he says, you who are highly favored, greetings to you. The Lord is with you. And Mary was like really um, troubled by his words. Like, what kind of greeting is this that, that I'm getting? And I can kind of understand that, really, because Mary was a Jewish girl who uh, knew her scriptures. We come to see from the song that she, um, she sang in that last bit of our um, reading. She knows her scriptures. She sings of Abraham and Israel and the history and what's happening through the generations. And the whole theme of her song, the main theme, is like a celebration of God fulfilling the promises of old that has been um, passed through generations, the promises of the birth of Jesus that was to come. And God had been silent about this, this coming Messiah, for 400 years. So Mary, aware of her scripture, she knows that when an angel shows up with a message from God, with a job for you to do, a calling, it's not going to be that easy. But unlike Moses, who was unconvinced, and Saul, who went his own way, and Jonah, who ran, and, and uh, Gideon, who was a coward, Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, Mary knows she's going to give birth to the. They didn't expect the Messiah to come as a baby. They had no idea what to expect. But they thought, surely this Messiah, this one that we've been waiting for, he's going to come as a mighty warrior who's going to slay our enemies and, um, and kind of weed out the sinners from among us. But a baby. And we know that this baby came as a, as a servant. And so Mary, with this new knowledge and a baby to carry, she waited She had to wait for Joseph to catch up to the idea because he was about to divorce her. She had to wait for Jesus to be born and then she waited to see what this extraordinary boy was going to do to see this Messiah take his place. She didn't know the details. She didn't know the destination. And then God spoke to her through this guy, Simeon, who we meet in Luke chapter 2, just a regular guy who the Holy Spirit came upon. And he said, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. She knew her boy would suffer. And as he suffered, she too would suffer. Like I said, she didn't know the details or the destination. And she didn't know that she would be the only person to be with Jesus as he took his first breath and as he took his last on the cross. She didn't know the death he would die or the tears that he would cry. 
she would have to wait for 33 years to know what this all fully meant. And had she known the details, would she have gone on with it? Would she have tried to change what was to occur? With this huge task ahead, how did she wait so well? Because I feel like I'm really bad at waiting. When I uh, worked in London, if you got down to the tube platform and had to wait more than three minutes for a tube, it was, like, ridiculous. Five minutes, like, ugh. And waiting, it seems to us like a, a complete waste of time. And we're in, we live in a culture that's just getting faster and faster, and our patience is wearing thinner. We have microwaves where the meals are now with us in minutes and we get instant credit. There's no need to save your money to wait for the things that you want. We have next day delivery and instant downloads and the pain of dial-up is no more. And for any 80s kids like me, the Spectrum computer and waiting for that to load and then having to wait again. We've become so impatient as a society. Now, I remember back in 2009, there was this advert for a new mobile phone. And the tagline was, impatience is a virtue. And I remember seeing it everywhere and, and just thinking, this is insane. Impatience is a virtue. And I was going to show the advert, but the version I wanted with the particular speech um, was a little bit too raunchy for church. So... I thought I wouldn't, and I'll just, you know, give you the, uh, the transcript. So here goes. This is an advert for the Jet Phone by Samsung. We thought we'd tell you that up front because we know you hate waiting. Waiting drives us up the wall. Waiting misses the flight, loses the match. Waiting never gets round to it. Henry is 90 and still waiting to be kissed. Waiting doesn't ask for the pay rise, doesn't get to the front, Waiting never finishes first. Then there's impatience. Impatience got us faster cars, microwaves, remote controls, and jets. Impatience is in first, on top, at the front. Impatience wants more and more and more. And call her. Call her right now. Why wait for Friday? If the movie's boring, leave. If the meeting's dull, walk out. Read the last page of the book, Watch the last 15 minutes first. Get up early, stay out late. Patience is knowing you're bored and doing nothing about it. Impatience is a virtue. Faster, brighter, better. And at the beginning of this advert, they show these really sad, pathetic-looking people, like this man in his pants barbecuing for himself and just ridiculous things and then it turns to carnage and everyone's having a great time because they're so impatient and I just remember feeling absolutely horrified when I first saw this advert it's so selfish and irresponsible and this was what was being promoted to us and it totally goes against what we as Christians are trying to cultivate within ourselves we're trying to kind of cultivate the fruits of the Spirit, which are spoken about in Galatians. And there might be people here that have never heard of that. So those fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I don't give my kids everything they want as soon as they want it because I don't want them to become selfish, irresponsible brats. 
if we never have to wait for anything, what kind of people are we going to become? And the thought of me becoming more selfish and irresponsible and maybe a brat, it's not alone enough to deter me from thinking that waiting is a hard thing to do. But it does help me to see that actually waiting is not useless. I am um, in March this year. I went to see a consultant at a hospital in London for the last time. I'd been seeing her for about just over a year, and before that, I'd been ill for six years. Um, and I'd been to different doctors and consultants in the first couple of years of being ill, and got fobbed off quite a lot. And I just got fed up. So for four years, I just put up with it, and then. I thought, I can't, I, actually, I can't cope with this anymore. And I was so fortunate because I got um, sent to this uh, doctor. And um, she was just amazing. She, um, I just felt really looked after by her. I'd see her and she, we'd talk through stuff and she'd maybe do a treatment back to me in two months. I want to know if, if this has worked, if, if you're okay. This has gone on for too long. And um, I'd go back after a couple of months and be like, you know, I'm, I'm still unwell. She'd try something else. And eventually, at the end of like last year, not long before we moved to Derby, um, she gave me a small operation and I was fixed. So I got to go to her in March this year and be like, you fixed me. It's incredible. But whenever I had to, an appointment with her, I would be waiting for at least an hour after my appointment time. And do you know what? I didn't care at all in the slightest. I worked it out after a couple of appointments that this was the general flow. So I took a book and I'd sit and I'd wait and I'd have a lovely time. I was without my kids and I could read a book. So all was good. But the thing is, yeah, I had to wait for her. But she was such a good doctor that I didn't mind. And I just remember on my last visit to her, she said, and I'll... I'm not very good at accents, but it was along the lines of, darling, it's so good to see you. Have you been waiting for four hours? And I was like, well, it's more like one, but, you know, I don't mind. And the thing is, the reason I'm telling you this is because, actually, we wait for things that are worth it. And God calls us to wait on him. Why was Mary so good at waiting? Because the Lord was with her. She knows him, she trusts him, and she knows that he's worth waiting for. Now, I think I might know what some of you are thinking because I thought it too. Yes, Mary waited, but also she had an angel appear to her and tell her what was going on. And then the angel met her husband, who then confirmed it to her. And he'd also appeared to Elizabeth and confirmed it through her. And then, what was next? And then Simeon in the temple, he also confirmed it to her. And we know in our heads, don't we, a lot of us, we're like, yeah, I know God's with me. I know he's with me all the time. I know, I know. But there's still an uncertainty there. And it's like our waiting has perhaps come a bit, become a bit passive And I'm not talking about superficial waiting, like waiting for the kettle to boil and things like that. I'm talking about the things that really... I just want a decision. I just want. But as we look to the example of Mary, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. 
May your word to me be fulfilled. She surrenders to God. And that is not a passive thing. That is an active surrender for God to take her life for his purpose. So 18 years ago, I'd been a Christian for a couple of years. And uh, Andy and I were visiting some friends in Manchester. And we went to their church and they thought it would be a really good idea to book us into these prophecy sessions. And this kind of thing, it was very new to me. And so basically I was shut in a room with five women who all laid hands on me and they prayed for me things that they felt God was saying. And they recorded it on a cassette because it was back in the day. Some of you might not know what that is. Um, And uh, they said to me, God has his hand on your heart. He will give you a heart for women. You will have a ministry to young women. And there are two reasons why I remembered this all these years later. And the first was because these crazy women bounded up to me as I was walking to the car. And they were like, hugging me and they kind of screamed a little bit at me and they were like we're so excited about what God's gonna do and I was a bit like okay um I was still quite a hard person at the time I was definitely not a hugger um and I was still kind of trying to get used to the middle class Christian scene I'm a council estate girl it was all very very new to me I just thought they're a bit weird and secondly, I didn't have close girlfriends at that age. I, um, I hung out with guys. I didn't massively like women, to be honest. And I didn't think I needed them in my life. And any sort of women's ministry or conference thing was just a real no-go. So I thought they were weird. And it was just like, no. So those two reasons, that's why it stuck. And life was like really up and down for probably the next five years or so as I tried to kind of figure out life. And I walked away from God. Andy and I were on the brink of divorce. I was out drinking way too much. And um, I was seeking approval in all the wrong places. And in my lowest moment, I met God again. He was so present in the worst of times. And it, it, it is like that, isn't it? The worst of times. And he pieced me back together. And how did he do that? I had to surrender my life to him. Soon after that, someone prayed for me about women's ministry. And I laughed. It was so implausible at the time. And five years later, we're then at vicar school. Andy's training to be a vicar. And I made my first real girlfriends, aged 29, I'd never realized the importance of having women in my life that I could share everything with and them with me. It was like getting together and doing life together and encouraging one another and holding each other up at times. And then someone prayed for me again, ministry to young women. And I, this time it was like, yeah, maybe. And my heart grew and softened And all the screw-ups in life that I'd been through and the people who had pointed me to Jesus means that I now have a heart to do the same. And it's only actually since coming to St. Werberg's that that has even begun to become a reality. 
a, uh, a famous Christian author says this, you cannot judge God by your calendar. He may appear to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. So how do we learn to wait well? If we, um, if we look at how Mary waited, we can definitely see the fruits of the Spirit growing in her life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Verse 45 we read, you're blessed because you believed. She was faithful to God, and that would have also brought peace. Verse 47, how my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. There's joy, and her song as a whole expresses love and joy and goodness. And all of those things will help us in anything that we find ourselves waiting for. And we wait for things every day, don't we? So how do we cultivate these fruits? It's by spending time with the one who is all of those things, Jesus. And by reading the word of God and filling ourselves with good things rather than rubbish adverts about impatience being a virtue and other such stuff. And spending time with and learning from people who kind of bear those fruits around us. And secondly, we need to learn to wait for the right things. In um, Luke 2, after Jesus has been born and the shepherds have visited and the angels have appeared, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What are we treasuring in our hearts? What are we pondering? What do we keep coming back to? 18 years ago, it was weird and laughable when those women prayed for me. You know, I didn't know the details But I didn't need to wait on God for it. If I'd have sat down after that first prayer session and just thought, right, okay, I've had this word. God, what are you going to do about it? I wouldn't have had the experiences that changed my heart. And in the Bible, again and again, we're told to wait on the Lord or words to that effect. And so perhaps we think that every decision we make, we need to sit and wait on the Lord. We need to, be, um, we need to wait for these signs or, or something. And actually, throughout the Bible, when it says to wait on the Lord, it's when we are suffering, when we're going through the midst of tragedy or trauma, or when we're facing something that terrifies us so much that our fear is about to rob us of our future. It's in the midst of anguish that God feels most present on when he says, wait on me. And it's then that we feel him gently beckoning us on. Now, I don't want anyone to hear me wrong here because it's not to say that we shouldn't ever wait on God when things are actually going well. Because, of course, God is speaking to us all the time. He came to meet with us. He longs to meet with us all the time. But I do feel like we need to stop waiting around like every decision we make. If we've not had some crazy supernatural sign, then God, you know, we're going to ruin God's plans for us. Sometimes we just need to take that leap of faith. Because if he tells us everything that's going to happen, it's not really faith. I feel like I've had 
so many conversations with people where they're waiting for a sign for God to really specifically guide them whilst forgetting things like common sense and circumstances and good and godly advice. Now, I've shared this story with some of you before, but I'll share it again and hopefully you won't get bored. So when Andy and I first um, were together, well, we were like best mates. We'd been heartbroken by our previous relationships. And we, um, we were hanging out loads and we kind of started to fall for each other. And it was like, what do we do about this? It's a bit weird, like falling for my best friend. Do we go for it or do we not? Like, what do you do? So we prayed about it. But actually, it was like, what are we expecting God to say? He's not said no. We like each other. We fancy each other. We get on. We both love Jesus. Like, let's do it. So it's like, it's not always some big, crazy sign. We can never fully know exactly what's in store for us or where our paths are going to lead us. It's like we're waiting for a divine moment that's going to define us. But the most divine moment that we will ever have is the day that we meet Jesus and know why we're here. That is what defines us, nothing else. Now, I always thought of Mary as the mother of Jesus, the woman giving birth in a stable, the peasant girl, the mourning mother, who trusted him. She surrendered her life to him, and that is what defines her. So for many of us, our our divine moment, meeting Jesus, it's already happened. And the rest of the twists and the turns and the revelations, it's just definition. It's just the light and the shade in the picture that God is creating that we can't see yet. Amen. Amen.